be committed to being a student, not of our industry alone. I mean, I actually think being a student means get outside of our business. Everything that's impacting our industry Mm -hmm. is driven from the outside. And so get excited about learning new things that you can adapt and integrate into what you're doing. I think that's really, really important. So there's a lot of conversation happening in the world today about What's going to happen with corporate real estate? How are people going to work in the future? Are we going to be partially in the office and partially working from home? And these are all really good questions. But in today's episode, I explore the future of the office furniture industry with Paul Holland, the principal of Solomon Coyle. Now, the show notes for this conversation can be found at sidmeadows.com forward slash episode 40. Paul and I had a great conversation, and you're going to want to listen all the way through to the end of this one. And hey, if you haven't had a chance to head on over to iTunes and leave us a review, please do so. It really helps spread the word about the podcast and helps us reach additional people within our industry that might be interested in the conversations that we're having. I hope that you enjoy today's episode. I'm Sid Meadows, and I'm a certified professional coach, and my focus is on high performance and growth and helping my clients move into action. I'm a personal and professional development junkie, an avid podcast listener and reader, and my passion is all things contract interiors. In this podcast, I'm going to provide you with information, education, ideas, and tools to help you in your personal life, your business, and our industry. So let's have some fun and welcome to the Trend Report Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Trend Report Podcast. I'm glad you're here for this conversation with a longtime industry veteran and one of the smartest people that I've ever had the opportunity to work with and to become engaged with. I'd like to welcome Paul Holland with Solomon Coyle to the podcast today. Hey, Paul, how are you? Hey, Sid. Thanks. Great. Thanks for the that brief introduction. It almost makes me sound like an older guy that's very opinionated, but, but it's good to be <laughs> well, with you. If, if somebody introduced me that way, I'd probably have exactly the same thought process, right? <laughs> Great, great to be here, though. Thanks for the opportunity to, to chat with you today. Well, Paul, you and I have known each other for way too many years and worked together way back in the day. And both of our careers have evolved and changed. Tell us and share with our community today a little bit about who you are and what do you do today and the importance of it. Yeah, thank you uh, for that opportunity. So I've been, you know, it was interesting thinking about it this morning. I, I will finish my 37th year in the industry this year. And I thought about that and I thought, man, that feels like a long, long time, right? Mm -hmm. But it's been an interesting journey. It's been a fascinating journey for me personally, because I love the industry and contract furniture and all that's around it and have been very fortunate to get to sit or to participate in the industry from different points of view, which has been really, really nice. Today, I am a principal of Solomon Coyle. And we do, I would say the thing about Solomon Coyle, we're a consulting firm. I'm not, it's almost like somebody saying, oh, you're a sales guy. You're a yeah. consultant. You know, what does that really mean? Well, like I, a four-letter me, word almost. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like, I'm not sure I, I'm comfortable with that. I What we do, I think at, at the highest level at Solomon Coyle, we do research, we do different things and, and, and all of that, consulting and education. And But what I think we really do is we we share insights that inspire people that to have a better business, to have a better culture, to help 
their people do better and ultimately their clients do better. And that's really a lot of fun to me to be in a role of, and I would even go so far as to say, and I know you appreciate it, Sid, of servant leadership, mm-hmm. right? The ability to give back and to help people. That really our role is to help people have a better business that impacts in a positive way all the stakeholders, right? In sure. the business. So Absolutely. really a lot of fun. And yeah. one of your big focuses is obviously on the office furniture dealer community. Right. It is. Yeah, it it is on the office furniture dealer. So that dealer distribution channel and then surrounding that, if you will, is the uh, the manufacturers. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's really two pieces to it. It, Mm -hmm. We're very deeply engaged working with dealers every day on helping them with their business. But that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. Part of that ecosystem, if you will, is the relationship to to the manufacturer and the influencer set too, to some degree. So, yeah, but it's a real tight focus on the dealer business model. So I know a, a lot of the research that you guys do is really keeps a pulse on our industry and kind of what's happening. Can you share, Paul, like a couple of highlights of your most recent research that yeah. talks about the state of our industry? I mean, I know that, I mean, you have to be living in a hole to, you know, if you don't know that our industry has been impacted since March 2020 to today in significant ways, whether that's layoffs, shutdowns, um, lockdowns, you know, some case closures, consolidations, you name it. I mean, our industry has been impacted and your research is kind of staying on the pulse of that. So share a little bit with us. Yeah. What, you know, for me, one of the, one of the great things that I get to do is I love to learn. I'm a, mm-hmm. a at heart, I'm a student. And so part of my role as, as a principal in, in the areas of the business I, I work in is literally looking outside the business to try to understand what informs the business. Mm-hmm. And so so at a high level, you're exactly right. You know, we've seen two major downturns prior to the pandemic in our industry that were really significant. And a lot of people say, I don't care about history, but I think it is fascinating to understand that this pandemic or this recession brought on by the pandemic and all these changes we're going through, which really will impact us for a long time. It's not like we've not seen dramatic change in the industry before. Right now, at a high level, the industry got new BIFMA data yesterday, Business and Institutional Furniture Manufacturers Association data. And we're going to end up the year, by the way, BIFMA, for those of you that might not know, constitutes about 65 to 70% of the industry. It's 55 manufacturers. We're going to be down in sales, according to them. It's a pretty good litmus for the industry, about 30% for 2020, which is kind of what people thought we would be. I would say that the big high-level macro thing related to our industry right now is when people re-enter the office workplace, and that's really, really impacting things, Sid, as you know. So, yeah, so I, would, I would say that the dealer networks and the manufacturers have all had to resize uh, we're, we're all in the industry having to innovate, you know, organically, we might innovate over five to 10 years. We're, we're all forced to innovate right now because this really, I would say external event, even to a normal economic cycle. But anyway, we are down as an industry, but I think we're innovating as an industry, which is really cool. I'm watching people really change, like whether it's your selling process or design within the selling process, some really neat stuff is happening. And here's the, the great part about it. 
it's a cycle, right? It is a pandemic that drove an economic cycle. We were due for an economic cycle anyway, but we're going to see, I would believe, from everything we study, all sources looking at the second half of the year as we start going back into a growth mode. So best days for the industry are not behind us. I believe they're in front of us. And it's because we're all having to innovate and think differently about how people work, what's going on, that sort of thing. So good stuff is happening. Yes, we're down about 30%. We will, I think in 21, with everything we study, we may be flat, maybe a little up, and then moving into 2022, truly going into a growth mode again in the industry. So for those of you that aren't familiar with BIFMA, we will drop a link to their website in the show notes so that you can go out and see what BIFMA has to say now, to get access to most most of BIFMA's research, you have to be a member, but there are That's some correct. public resources that are really valuable. So we'll drop that in the show notes for you as well. But I mean, Paul, I mean, 30% down, that's a big number, right? It's a big, and, it's a huge number. You know, flat growth in 2021 means we're still 30% down from the previous, yeah. right? Yeah, and right. Not, yeah, not real growth until 2022 that seems like a long time away. I mean, what should our industry be, or, and people that work in our industry, what should they really be focusing on in this time when we're going to be flat again? You're exactly right. Flat means we're still down, right? But one of the things we have to remember is 2019 was a record for the industry. Mm-hmm. We, we hit a record high in the industry almost beyond the the 2000 high. The industry was actually at its largest in 2000, but the industry's changing now. And so 2019 was a huge year. So that's one thing we need to bear in mind. Number two, if the first half of this year is fat, but yet we start coming back, we're we're literally going to see growth, not starting in 2022. We're going to see growth in this year and it's all going to be related at re-entry into the office, sure. right? And there's business going on now, which I think is interesting. So it's, it is a long time. It feels like a long time. Like you said, I, I think the thing I would say is we're going to see things incrementally improve. Even in this first half, we will start to see, you know, we got good unemployment news today in that it was flat to last week's job report. Well, guess what? Right now, I'll take that, right? It's positive yeah. news consumer confidence starting to improve. So it's not like we have to wait to 2022. It's just, it's going to be kind of incremental as we start to see improvement. I believe in the third quarter of this year, we'll actually all be able to say in the industry, yeah, it's getting better. As an example of that, one of the pieces of research we do is what's called the dealer market outlook. We do that for all dealers in North America, and it basically is measuring business activity, if you will, bookings, billings, backlog, sector activity, you know, healthcare, what what are the different sectors where there's activity? And in the third quarter report, fourth quarter report survey is out right now, and we don't have results yet. But in the third quarter, we actually saw dealers being more optimistic about bookings. We saw them rising and we saw sector activity in all sectors lifting. That's great news. You and I both know that you don't sell anything until there's opportunity, right? And opportunity was increasing. And so that's good news. So it's not like we've got desert for a year and a half to get through. It's just, it's going to be slow and incremental till we get to the second half of the year. So I think, uh, thank you for that clarification. And and Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things that you said there was, looking at things from a positive perspective and a positive mindset. 
And I'll go back to what you said about the unemployment numbers. You said the unemployment numbers were flat, and that's good news. Now, some people, depending who they are, may say, well, they're flat, and that means nobody's getting jobs, and that means at least nobody was laid off, but it means nobody's getting jobs, and it can be perceived as a negative or have a negative impact. But what you're saying is keep a positive outlook on this and that knowing that a flat job number is actually really good and think of it in that perspective. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it it is, and you're saying it, I I think, right. And I know you and I think a lot alike in this area. It it is about your your mental outlook and things. Remember that in April, we were at 14.5% unemployment. Today, we stand at about Mm 6.5%. Is it where we want it? No. Is it better? Absolutely. And it will continue to improve as the vaccines rolled out, as we get people comfortable with what's going on and and we just keep moving forward so not losing ground is great news <laughs> absolutely <think. laughs> absolutely and listen controlling that mindset is such a challenge because it's harder and more challenging to have a positive mindset than it is to have a negative mindset because absolutely. the reality is there's so much negativity around us on a daily basis including people that it's really easy to jump into that pot and get on the negative train and it's harder to be on the positive journey. Yeah. And I know we're talking about the industry, but it takes me to the place where I think about, you got to be careful what you intake, mm-hmm. right? I think that's the important thing. You know, we can always, and you said it well, I believe bad news seems to loom up quicker, but here's the reality. Change is never comfortable. You know, we always talk about change and it's kind of like, oh, I like change as long as it doesn't affect me, yep. right? But the reality is what we're going through as an industry is really good change. It's Mm -hmm. forcing us to innovate. It's interesting. McKinsey did a study not long, well, right about the time the pandemic really got in kind of full motion. And they talked about innovation or digital transformation. Mm -hmm. Left, Left unto itself, organically, digital transformation would take any company five to 10 years to achieve. And yet, all of us who are still in this industry are, are really being forced to change and to adapt, which leads us to a better place. And that's really, really exciting. As an example, talking with sales leaders and dealerships, we asked this question this fall, have you engaged in digital selling? Have you changed your selling process to engage digital elements, whether it's live design, whatever it may be? And will some of those things remain when we go back to the world that we kind of knew, right? Where everybody was not socially distanced and all that. And I I can tell you, and Sid, you would anticipate this, I'm sure. These sales thought leaders said, oh man, you know what? We're finding skills, implementing technology, and evolving what we do to where one plus one is three. So yes, we're going to keep these good things and move forward. And that's what's really exciting to me. We're we're reforming this industry, which is amazing. We being all of us in yeah, absolutely all of us in the industry. It. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that you said was change and how challenging change is for us. And you know that's because. Real change happens when we're outside our comfort zone. Absolutely. And being outside our comfort zone is a place we don't like to be as individuals. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It's scary, right? I actually have a column coming out. Um, most of you know I write a column for the Business of Furniture magazine, and I have a column coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called Let's Hang Out Outside Your Comfort Zone. 
Mm-hmm. And it's all about that conversation about how growth really happens when you're uncomfortable and yeah. the benefit to being uncomfortable. And I know what, and we'll segue that into our industry is a little bit uncomfortable right now. There are a lot of signs that are talking mm-hmm. about bad things, if you will. There's indicators of real estate leases being reduced in the number of years. There's indications that companies are going to downsize their footprint. There's concepts of hub and spoke, you know, all these different things. So let's talk about how you see the industry changing and what do you think some of those changes are? That very question is the question that we're all thinking about, right? I I would say for all of you that are business owners, you're thinking about your 30-day cash cycle, 22 days of selling, you know, and all that sort of thing. But I, I think the thing to remember is we are in an industry that equips people with physicality of space and tools to do their work. Prior to the pandemic, that mindset or that that envelope of where we provide goods and services to equip people, enable those people, mm-hmm. enable culture and all those kinds of things was primarily thought of in an office. That is a place where we go and we do work, right? Right. And this change that's occurring right now, which which will impact the industry, I think, for a long, long reaching time is more about where we work and how we work. Mm-hmm. So we were all forced to adapt to a test. Can we work remotely? Will everybody work remotely? I don't believe so in the future. I believe what we will see is there will be this huge dialogue and narrative around safety. There will be a huge dialogue around flexibility of work. Yes, sometimes we will work remote. Always. Some roles not so good at that, right? So so it's more to me about, and we think about this, and now you're beginning to hear this term used quite a bit, but it is the, the ecosystem of workspace, right? And to me, that means that, well, you know what? It may be in an office environment in an urban setting that is a centralized hub. It could be a suburban office for certain things, could be a remote like working from home or third space like a Starbucks. Here's the reality. People will work in more places. And I believe that actually gives the industry more opportunity for products and services and innovation. But the challenge in that is nine months ago or now, you know, it's it'll be a year before you know it, but 11 months ago, whatever it's been, this pandemic took our world and said, we're going to work differently. The thing I think about all the time, and I hope I'm answering your question, Sid, is and I've talked to a lot of people about this. Here's, you know, when, when you're faced with a challenge, the way my mind works is I have to figure out what's the constant, what's the variable. Here's the constant. People will always work. Yep. So what's the variable? How they work and where they work, yep. right? And the tools that they use. So for me, yes, not everybody's back in a conventional office type setting. Yes, we've seen the the office as an asset class and commercial real estate be impacted. I frankly don't think it's a question of will, will people use less space. I think it's a question more about putting people first, safety, and understanding there's a broader ecosystem to get things done. How do we play in that space? And I think that's the challenge for the manufacturer and the dealer both is to understand how they adapt to that new yeah, absolutely. Huge opportunity. Yeah, and it is a great opportunity. And I want everybody listening to this to realize 
because I've said this many times. I know, Paul, you said it as well. Though it's challenging, it's an exciting time to be in our industry because change is in front of us. And it really, really good change, change like we've never seen before. And, you know, and, and a lot of the experts are talking about this and what this means and the impact, but the ecosystem of work and understanding that it's no longer just an office. So right. now the challenge to our industry is how can we provide products and services and solutions to these other places to support the way people and where people will work? Absolutely. I think about this a lot, Sid, is, you know, we study financials. We study dealer financials. We even study manufacturer financials in the industry. We study the the information. Pre-pandemic, there was this huge thing about the cost of real estate. Well, guess what? People are always a bigger investment. They're a bigger asset, too. Mm -hmm. So I frankly think it's exciting because I believe the discussion is going to shift from, oh, we got to squeeze people, squeeze people, squeeze people, to how do we enable people, keep them safe, build strong innovation? Does collaboration have to be in the same room? No, we're doing this podcast and we're states apart. I mean, I frankly think the most exciting times are in front of the industry, but the sad part is it doesn't look like it used to look only 10, 11 short months ago. Right. So huge, huge opportunity. In so front of us. Um, you're right. We're doing this states apart. I just wish hindsight's always 2020, no pun there, but I wish I owned stock in Zoom prior to March the 15th. Let me just tell you. I'm with you, brother. I'm with I mean, you. I've, I'm I've with used you. it for a couple of years, but never really thought about how powerful a technology tool like that could potentially impact us and what we do. So, Paul, let's yep. keep going about some of the changes there in the industry. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt. We see this written about a lot, sometimes in a positive way, and we see some snarky comments about it. Yep. What are your thoughts about the changes revolving around e-commerce and digital strategies? Well, if you think about it, one of the things, Sid, I think that's fascinating in this whole thing, and you and I both are, are sales and marketing and our backgrounds in what we do. And prior to the pandemic, I'm going to answer your question, but here's a hidden force, not a hidden force, but a force that's actually behind all of these things that sometimes gets ignored in this whole discussion, right, for our industry. Prior to the pandemic, consumer behavior, customer behavior was shifting already. Right. And partially due to the fact that that the customer was getting more sophisticated. And that's because of the Internet. And then along comes Amazon and Amazon taught everybody, look, I want value. I want quality. I want control and I want it. I want it quick and I want you to keep me safe from risk. I want to look at five-star product. So this whole thing is being driven. When we talk about retail or we talk about e-commerce, we talk about any of that, it is because our industry is not expanding exponentially, but yet there is a broader customer base that people are trying to get to. Mm -hmm. And guess what? That entire consumer base, even the people at, you name a large multinational client, right? Mm -hmm. They're all consumers. Consumer behaviors change, buyer behaviors change. So therefore, should we be surprised that e-commerce or retail even is is in discussion? No. I, I think for the manufacturers, it's pretty obvious that they, as they diversify, they're trying to get to those 
people and build the brand. And on the dealer side of things, dealers have customers that want to, they want it easier to do business with, right? I want to be able to engage in a, in a simpler, quicker, faster, more transparent way. And, and I think e-commerce is here to stay. Will you see selling chairs to the individual consumer being a huge part of our industry? I don't, but I think it is a trend that points the way through technology, trying to meet customer behavior that we all can kind of learn from, right? And, and I think that's really important. Most dealers today, we see them diversifying as well. We see the manufacturer diversifying in the channels of distribution. We see dealers diversifying in, in the products and the service offerings and things like that. The dealer value proposition will always be about managing complexity for the client. Yep. On the manufacturer side, it is about the brand and making sure that there's loyalty and preference, right? So e-commerce has a place, but it looks different on both sides. I don't see anything we need to fear as much as if we can figure out how to manage complexity via e-commerce or whatever it may be, we're actually going to move light years ahead because the consumer outside of our industry will always drive ultimately what's going to happen inside the industry. So I hope I answered your question. I think, I, so. I think it's a, a force for positive, not a negative. Absolutely. Thing. I mean, I, it's, I agree with you. It's here to stay. I do believe that if, if you're a business and you do not have an e-commerce strategy, you need to get one. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I, w- I wish I'd have thought to say that because I totally agree with that. You need, and I can tell you that's big conversation in the dealer yeah. world. Yeah, because right? it's it again that we go back to the comfort zone thing. It's outside their comfort zone. It's outside Absolutely. the traditional norm of what they've ever done before. Absolutely. And it also means hiring people that are experts at e-commerce and digital Absolutely. strategies. And how do you how do you do all this? Totally agree. In fact, you know. There are dealers out there that are changing their ERP systems basically from the point of view they're coming they're coming outside the traditional industry ERP systems, looking at ERP systems outside the industry because they know what you said and I said is true that e-commerce, there is an e-commerce play and a vital need for it to kind of complete the world for the consumer. And man, oh man, let's get set up with the technology and the skill sets, the people, the roles to be able to do it. Just what you said. I, I'm excited to see where that takes us. I, so I don't. No, I agree. No, no, I agree with you. It's again, there's so much good stuff going on. It's oh, yeah. so exciting to be part of our industry right now because there's so much opportunity. And so in addition to e-commerce, how else do you think our distribution is going to change? Our distribution in our industry will change and evolve. Yeah, I think what you're going to see, what we what we hope we see, I'll start with the dealers, word dealer, right? I, I think about this and I think it's kind of like, you know, that, that like we were talking earlier, sales and consulting has got a kind of a negative connotation, drug dealer, arms dealer, you know. Yep. I think the distributor of the future mm-hmm. And we do a lot of work in this area is really the person that looks at the built environment and says, you know what? We already know how to manage complexity. We know how to design complex solutions. Mm -hmm. We know how to procure and manage diverse vendor sets. We know how to project manage. We know how to install and service 
Mm -hmm. Well, why does that just have to be furniture? Mm -hmm. So frankly, and I'm going to make a bold statement and I'll probably hear from this, but I would say in five years, if you don't see yourself as kind of this integrator of the built environment and a technology company, and I don't mean selling technology, but utilizing technology like we were talking about with e-commerce or design or whatever it may be, you're probably going to be gone from a distribution standpoint, right? right? So the distribution of the future, in my mind, is we call them sometimes specialty contractors, interior integrators, mm-hmm. professional services firms. I mean, I had a question yesterday related to this very thing from a person in our industry that says, you know, I've got some end users that are really saying, boy, I'd just like to buy direct and get the dealer out of it. Well, the reality is nobody wants to manage the complexity of design and procurement and project managing and all this hyper complexity in a, in a, even a smaller job, right? So there's a value proposition there, but it's bigger than furniture. It is architectural products. It's, you know, division 10 specialties. So, so distribution is going to evolve. And I think there's always going to be a seat at the table for distribution that is thought leader distribution and truly making taking the complexity and managing it and making it simple for the client or the Mm -hmm. influencer set so i I think on the menu go ahead i've just got a couple of thoughts around that because the term that you said that i really really like is interior integrator right i think that's a great terminology because it really is descriptive and it has a much more positive connotation to it than dealer Right. Absolutely. It, it just there's so many. And I, I had never really thought about it until I heard you say, it, but the term dealer does have some negative connotation with it. So interior integrator. I really, really like that. But the other thing that you said was take a step back. And if you are a dealer or an officer or dealer, take a step back and look at the entire built environment. Absolutely. See what it is that you are not providing solutions for right now Absolutely. and go find resources for that. Okay. Absolutely. Then the third thing that you said, and I'm going to give a shout out to a previous episode for those of you that might be listening. You talked about a seat at the table and episode 37 of the podcast was an interview with Julie Dignan and the CBRE Furniture Advisory Group talking about providing the dealer a seat at the table and being a voice for the dealer. So if you haven't listened to that, to what Paul just talked about and having that seat, go back and listen to that episode because it's a really good episode about what Julie and her team are doing to uh, to give the dealer that option. And we'll also drop a link to that episode in the show notes as well so that you see it there. All right. So Paul, go on to the manufacturer, please. Sorry. I just Yeah. Wanted- no, 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 no. That's good. Thank you for that. By the way, on, on the the distribution side, the dealer channel of distribution. And, and we, one of the things I could tell you this on solemn coil world, we're going to change the terminology. Mm. We're, we are, we're going to change that, that whole thing, but. Well, just for a point of reference, I've actually already copyrighted interior integrator. So, you know, I did that just a few minutes ago while we were talking. <laughs> You're late. But I will say this for the listeners, you know, right now, if you're talking to dealers very broadly in North America, one of the things you will hear from them is, and this is a real example of this, mm-hmm. is floor covering and architectural products are outgrowing furniture. And you could say, well, yeah, but everything's flat or down or whatever. I'm telling you, there's super activity in those areas. But anyway, 
On the manufacturer side, I think the manufacturers, you know, they have some more constraints. And what I mean by that is they have restate, they have capital investment, machinery, all of this to build furniture product. So the evolution or the diversification of the manufacturer, could they move into other product groups? Well, they actually have by acquisition, yep. right? Every day, H&I bought Design Public Group, yeah. Kimball bought Poppin. I mean, you're going to continue to see consolidation mm-hmm. in our industry like that crazily. You may even see them move outside of furniture products. Certainly, they've already moved into residential in a way. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a bigger play. I also think that other channels of distribution for what they currently do, and again, it's back to the retail, the e-tailing, mm-hmm. that play is a big thing, or even their own retail stores or whatever. We've seen Herman Miller do that. So I think diversification, and I think it looks a little bit different on both sides. I frankly think our industry... And this is something that, you know, I study the the industry every day. And yet, to me, it's just now starting to dawn that it's not just chairs and panels Mm -hmm. and storage and tables. This is a bigger thing than product. It's a bigger thing than furniture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the way we all take to seize opportunity. We're going to have to start thinking more broadly. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. And you mentioned something too that I think is really important, and that's retail. And I mean, retail has been hit really, really hard with the lockdown, the shutdown. And in some states, I mean, some retail stores haven't even opened. There's been a huge consolidation. I was reading an article about or listening to a podcast, I don't remember exactly, about the company that bought Pier One and that also had bought Wisteria that it basically... Pier 1 closed its retail locations. Pier 1 didn't go out of business. They just went online. And so it's now everything is available to buy online. So they went full e-commerce and closed the retail stores. But we see this trend with Herman Miller and others opening retail stores. And I mean, I know I'm excited for the opportunity to be able to go shop again, right? And to shop local and to shop small, right? right. go to the specialty stores. But what what do you think a retail strategy, is there one there for our industry in a bigger way that also includes not just the manufacturer, but the dealer? Yeah, I think there is. I think that, you know, like so many other things, retailing is changing really, really dramatically. And as a sector for anything, right, it's been hammered. But uh, the reality is, is it dead and gone? No, it's not. You know, I think it's going to evolve. I think what the center of it's going to be is all about customer experience. I mean, you can look at stuff online all day long and make decisions, if you will. But most people eventually want to engage in a deeper way with the company they're going to be doing business with, with service offerings, with the, with the products, whatever they may be. And I frankly think, you know, is it a showroom? Is it a retail thing? I think it's a customer experience center in some way. I think that's what's amazing. When you look at retailers that do well, I think that's really, really at the center of their strategies, Ben. We got to create an experience. And I think that's where the opportunity lies. Is our industry going to shift and we're going to see, you know, huge, huge percentages of the total volume of the business be in retail? I don't think so, but I think it's part of the necessary or some of the necessary pieces we'll see in the future. I even can, and this is just freak you out maybe, but I, I could even see 
our industry, which is su- our manufacturers, super sophisticated. They're, you know, they do research, they do all these things. What if our industry said, we're going to go own the residential furniture industry? We're going to go, we're going to go roll it up and we're going to, you know, so I can, I can see it going in a bunch of different directions. And I think that's exciting that we're now being forced to really think about things and to reshape them and throw some of the old paradigms away. So I think that's what we're going to see on distribution and manufacturing, both on both sides. And, and I didn't mention this, but on the dealer distribution side, you're going to continue to see consolidations and transitions. Yeah. We believe we will see fewer larger mm-hmm. distributors that are much more advanced, that are vertically integrated. It's not uncommon to find some large dealers that are their own manufacturer on sure. some product. So we're going to see continued consolidation. You'll see people, distributors in all the locations we see today. It's just there'll be fewer of them as people create mm-hmm. scale, which is very important, both on distribution and manufacturing. So I want to talk about that for a second, but I want to go back just one minute to a term that you use that I think is really important that People pay attention. When you talk about, we need an e-commerce strategy. We need a retail strategy. It may not be a big retail strategy, but hey, Mr. Dealer out there, be, look at the opportunity. What does retail mean? What would it look like for you to go into it into some form to support your customer, all to provide the terminology I was getting to, the customer experience. We have to really focus on what the customer experience is with our brand as a provider versus the experience with the specific product that we sell. And so you've got to really zone in on customer experience. And I don't know that it's something that everybody really understands the meaning of customer experience. Yeah, I would give you this definition, and I'm glad you kind of brought us here. People oftentimes think, well, customer experience is really just good good customer service. Mm -hmm. Well, customer service is reactive. Customer experience is proactive. And that's really what it's all about. You know, and there's great stories out there about retail that that has created customer experience. But customer experience is really, really important because it is not reactive. I'm not going to fix this now that it's wrong. It is being in a place where you know that this type of product or service may be have a high potential of issues or whatever. So you preactively Mm -hmm. figure that out and deal with it. So the client never has to think about it. Yeah, That's customer experience. So, and by the way, most dealers already have a retail location in a way. In a way they do. Showrooms. Yeah. yeah, they're showrooms, right? right? Customer experience centers. So Yeah, absolutely. So there's a great book, and I don't know that you've heard about it or read it. It's called The Sewell Effect. Have you heard of it? I have not. So Sewell is an automotive company based in um, Dallas-Fort Worth. Yep. And in m- most recent months, a year or so, we've, we've bought three new cars, okay? For whatever reason, we've had to buy three new cars. Let's say in the last 24 months, right? Every one of them is a Sewell. Notice I didn't say what brand they were. I said they're a Sewell because right. they've got Cadillac, they got BMW, they've got Lexus, I and mean, they got all these different brands, right? But I go to Sewell because of the experience that I get as a shopper and a customer of Sewell, Right? And the book is available on Amazon. We'll drop the link to the book in the show notes as well. But it is amazing. That is what they're known for. It's not the brand they sell. It's they're known for the experience they provide their customer. 
And Absolutely. it's from the minute you walk in the door till you trade it in through all the service, you name it. It is an unbelievable experience. And I will always drive a Subaru. As long you as know, I and live where I can buy one, I will drive one. And I suspect that their strategy, Sid, based on what you're saying is they proactively anticipate the client's needs or issues mm-hmm. and they've already dealt with it. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's what's amazing. I think that, you know, the other comment I would make on on it and then we'll get back a little bit on course for what for what you want to do. But I I think about it this way. You know, we all business owners, people that are involved as leaders in business at every level mm-hmm. think that we know best. You know, we better find out what the client thinks. Yeah. And I don't always see that when we do strategic business planning, which mm-hmm. is one of the things we do. You know, it's always talking about me, me, I, I, I. And it's kind of like, where's the customer in that? Yeah. And I think that's going to be really, it is important. It was important before the pandemic. It's going to be important moving forward that we must put the client at the middle or the center of what we're doing. And that's really going to help us a lot. And yeah, I don't build, always build around that. Yeah. Well, I've said it. You've said it. There's absolutely no doubt. The Future is bright in our industry. And there's absolutely exciting time to be here. All you got to do is go out there and look and ideate and look for the opportunity. Surround yourself with creative thinkers and people that will come up with new ideas because our industry is begging for transformation yeah. in a absolutely. It's begging. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. So totally Paul, agree. you guys do great things and I appreciate you taking time out of your day to be here with us. Any parting thoughts for the people that are listening to the podcast about the future or where we're headed? Yeah, I, one thing, and I, I'll, I'll be brief, is I, I'm like you, Sid. I am super optimistic. I wish I were 20 or 30 years younger because I think where the industry is going and evolving to is more exciting than any place it's mm-hmm. ever been. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But the one thing I would say to each of you listening is be committed to being a student. Not of our industry alone. I mean, I actually think being a student means get outside of our business. Everything that's impacting our industry Mm -hmm. is driven from the outside. And so uh, get excited about learning new things that you can adapt and integrate into what you're doing. Uh, I think that's really, really important. I think for us, we've got to continue to learn. It's not about, you know, how long we've been out of school. It's about how much we continue to seek to understand what's going on out there. And what does that mean to us? And how can we turn that into a positive change element, right? And and that's the one thing I, I think I would say. So thank you for saying that. I That's my most favorite thing that you've said the entire podcast because it is so important to learn and to grow, not just individually and professionally and personally, but also outside our industry. Expand your skills, right? Expand your knowledge and figure out how that knowledge can be applied to what you do is so, so important. Thank you for saying that, Paul. That was not a yeah, absolutely. That was not a no, no, no. I was not paid. To, I was not paid to make that <laughs> remark. Yeah. So, Paul, if our listeners would like to uh, connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the easiest way to do it is just send me an email at p holland h o l l a n d at solomon coil one word s o l o m o n C-O-Y-L-E dot com. And I love, you know, part of what I enjoy so much is just hearing from people and being in dialogue and learning, 
right? That's what's great about it. I get to learn from everybody and regurgitate it and see how it fits. Yeah. So absolutely. I love it. Reach out. Yeah. Let's have a conversation, right? Let's have a conversation. Exactly. Absolutely. We'll drop Paul's email address as well as his LinkedIn into the show notes as well. Paul, thank you so much for being here. I wish all of you, you My and pleasure. all of you, Paul Foyle, a fantastic 2021. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you, Sid. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of the Trend Report Podcast. I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that you got some amazing value out of today's conversation. For more about our podcast and this episode and our other episodes, please visit my website at sidmeadows.com. We look forward to seeing you next week and go out there and make today great.